welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. And welcome back to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Uh, as we mentioned before, Barton is in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, uh, the Mississippi-Alabama All-Star Game, uh, the, the national director of scouting for 24-7 Sports, uh, getting back into the groove of, uh, of checking things out. We hope you enjoyed uh, our, our coaching mashup. Uh, now to also help us not only put a bow on the coaching carousel, but to give out a coaching award, it's Mr. Dennis Dodd. The Dodd Father. The magic bullet they now have in their holster, which they will apply. Nick Saban and Jim Harbaugh make a combined $20 million this season. Those two guys alone will make $13 million more than the entire match. Dennis, how we doing? I'm good, Chip. Happy holidays to you and everyone. And football is still very high, high on our minds right now. It is very high on our minds. Now, we've, uh, our, as we are recording this, we are moments, well, actually, we're probably a couple hours, but uh, a couple hours away from uh, officially revealing uh, the CBS Sports Individual Awards. Our CBS Sports All-America team was announced earlier this week as we were sitting here recording on Wednesday morning. Uh, the, the coach of the year is going to be UAB's Bill Clark, and you, Dennis, uh, have the column feature uh, explaining a little bit behind why we have named Clark as the winner. Uh, I've got some reasons as well, but I, I don't want to steal your thunder since you've got this. What do you think is the, like, aside from the the big is explainable, right? Like, oh my gosh, he, he came to UAB, the program was shut down, he stuck with it, he helped them raise money, uh, and he brought them back, and now they're in the in the bowl game. Like, that that is all explainable. As you dig beneath the surface what really stood out to you as something that was particularly impressive about Clark's work with the Blazers this season? I can't think of another person in that situation who would have stayed. Um, you have to understand, he came from Jacksonville State after a year. Uh, there was much, much consternation and you know, uh, criticism of him leaving after a year as there would any coach, uh, you know, Willie Taggart at Oregon, what have you. Uh, at, at Jacksonville State, which is, a, I would dare say, is an FCS power, I sure, guess. That's yeah. a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, and, and went to UAB, uh, led them to bowl eligibility in his first year. They went 6-6 six and six, and then, you know, had the rug pulled out from under him like Lucy with Charlie Brown in the football. And they, they killed the program for budgetary reasons. And as we all know, historically – those things just don't come back. Um, you know, Pacific, Long Beach State, there have been some others uh, on the Division One level that, that were killed for budgetary reasons. Well, it turns out that, you know, this was basically a mistake. Um, the, the president and the administration read the tea leaves wrong. Um, there was a consultant who was asked, oh, not, not for free, but just, you know, hey, give us a look at what it would take to sustain this program going forward. And not not his fault, but uh, but the money put forward, the projections put forward were, you know, were higher than was reality, and they killed the program. The community reacted um, pretty quickly, and then they they reinstated the program uh, almost immediately, almost I think December of fourteen. Right. 
uh, in that year. And I'm, I'm just I'm just surprised that that uh, that Bill Clark stayed. I, I would have you know if I'm you know I would have gotten out, out of there for a coordinator's position somewhere, tried to start over. But as part of the resurrection of the program, they signed him to a five-year deal. Obviously, they had to to give him an extension to because they were off for two years before coming back this year. And, and he stayed. And the, the irony, and it's been written before, is that UAB foot, this had to happen for UAB football for it to come back like this, which is a school record eight win season tied for second in the division and their second ever bowl game. You know, they go from no program to walking the streets of Nassau, Bahamas and the Bahamas Bowl. It's a pretty good story. Yeah, I, I credit Bill Clark. And the the work that he did, there there were two things that really stood out. We had him um, on one of the, the National Signing Day shows that we shot for CBSSports.com out of Fort Lauderdale. I was down there. We were talking to Bill Clark. And, of course, at the time, you know, he, w- he was talking about National Signing Day shortly after his program had been shut down. And he talked about the process of, you know, we are going to still – you know, he had to continue to recruit players – um, you know, like like the players who stuck around with the program, he had to continue to go out and recruit uh, players to be able to come and join so that when the return did happen, he had to recruit the dollar bills. He was out there fighting to try and raise the $45 million uh, that it took, or the pledges of $45 million that it took to be able to establish the football-only facility. And then, you know, this was a, this was a team that, you know, I, I got to think that on some level – the the fact that they were able to make such a strong return you mentioned the school win eight overall school record eight overall wins the school record uh six conference wins a six and two record yeah. in conference usa play uh leading conference usa in attendance a lot of that had to be just the the long preparation you know having spring practice even before there was spring practice for this particular season it's uh it speaks a lot to not only Clark's work as an X's and O's coach, but as somebody who understood the community, who understood the building, and did a good job of inspiring the staff so that everybody was in lockstep through this whole thing. Yeah, yeah, and I, I can't think of too many people that have, would have stuck to it like that. At, at one point, he bought one of these countdown clocks, and we've all seen them in football facilities. You know, they count down to the beginning of the season or a rivalry game or something like that. He got the idea from from Jim Tressel at Ohio State and and I, I've been there in the in the football facility. They just they keep a running countdown clock to the Michigan game. Okay, right. That makes sense. His his countdown clock at one point read six hundred days. <laughs> and he and he looked up at it and said, What are we doing? You know, there were like I think he said at one point there were like thirteen or twenty players. That's all he had. Um, you know, recruiting they were they were allowed to recruit uh, twice, sign two classes within the calendar year to catch up the NCAA cut them all kinds of breaks and, and shout out to the NCAA for letting them come back this quick. Uh, but it, 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 it was really hard. You know, they had nothing now that their facilities are maybe as good as there are in, in group of five, but you can imagine when that clock said 600 days and there are a bunch of walk-ons and stragglers and guys just showing up to practice against air and, you know, lifting weights for what, and that's what the, the story kind of portrayed that, you know, he's, he got them through this slog. What, uh, what about the other coaching performance? Because for me, Bill Clark is, uh, is, is the winner of the coach of the year. 
But there's uh, who else do you think was in the discussion, uh, particularly when you just focus on the 2017 season? Yeah, that's a good point. First of all, I want to mention that I, I think we were first with Bill Clark. There, I think he's going to win more of these. I'm just proud that we we did it first. You know what I mean? I mean, there will be others who can win Coach of the Year, and, and he will win multiple awards. But I'm just proud that CBS Sports was first with this. Agree. Uh, to give him the honor, and he he recognized that too. But to your question, you know, I, the person that comes to mind immediately to me is Lincoln Riley. Yep who obviously at age 33 on June 7th was handed an aircraft carrier, top five, top 10 program and told to win. And yeah, I, I will, uh, you know, I, I think we all know he won with, you know, the foundation built by, by Bob Stoops. But I think the bottom line is he won period, you know, another big 12 title got Oklahoma to the playoff. And if not for his relationship with Baker Mayfield, which clicked right away, when he arrived, excuse me, two years ago, none of this happens because because you know, we know how important Baker Mayfield is, Heisman Trophy winner, all-time great now at Oklahoma. None of that happens if he doesn't forge that personal and uh, X and O relationship with Baker Mayfield at age 33. Now, now 34, heading into the playoff, he's an old man. See, I I think that this is important to note that the the foundation that he took over was a little bit established by Lincoln Riley. When yeah. uh, when Bob Stoops decided that he wanted to go full air raid, then he wanted to bring in Lincoln Riley. And, of course, Lincoln Riley's arrival, as you just mentioned, sort of comes uh, at the same time as Baker Mayfield. And then, you know, we just get to see. And that's why when the decision was made to promote Lincoln Riley, uh, I – even though he was 33 years old, even though he uh, he has been around, you know, it, it wasn't like he didn't have a pro career. He went right into coaching. Right. He, he's he's spent some time working his way up, and he's had a lot of the 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 very important mentors along the way. Some of them he's kept with him, like Ruffin McNeil, now the associate head coach. But this this is a mastery of the system where Baker Mayfield, like <laughs> he's his college career started in 2013. He has a graduate degree in the air raid offense. Does yeah. anybody know this this system better than Baker Mayfield? And Lincoln Riley, I think you could say the same thing. Uh, I like Lincoln Riley. Kirby Smart and Mark Richt, uh, I think, are the – those are the, the second-year coaches. Isn't there a trend? Like sometimes coaches in their second year, things start to yes. click. Uh, yes. Those, uh, those Kirby are two. Smart, Kirby Smart. Yeah. You know, for, uh, and I, as he is uh, – as I was sitting there at the SEC championship game, I was thinking, who – what coach has done this in his second year as a head coach, not second year as a school, <clears throat> excuse me. And I was reminded Gene Chizik did it, uh, you know, led Auburn to a national championship in 2010, completely slipped my mind. So it has been done before, uh, not very often, but, you know, you could obviously Dabo Sweeney, Lincoln Riley, um, Kirby Smart. Uh, Mark Richt is, is a great one uh, because, boy, have they suffered and tried to turn the corner. And obviously Miami did. I think that's the best way to put it. They didn't win the ACC, but, you know, they went deep into the season undefeated. And, and something something happened there. Something clicked. Mark Rick got it going. And I, I think they're, they're obviously their, their future is, uh, is bright under him. Well, this and this is, uh, this is a program that we are just going to have – uh, 10 win expectations for yeah. moving on out. And that's, that to me is Miami back. Yeah. I, 
And as, uh, as Shaq Quarterman said after the, the Notre Dame win, I think he put it in perspective because the whole city was going crazy. The team was going crazy. The media were going crazy. Miami is back. And he stood up at the podium and said, we're not back till we get a ring. And I thought that was that was pretty mature because that's the standard that Miami plays to. Are they back? Yeah, they've turned a corner. But until Miami is in this Final Four competing for a championship, that's the standard Miami holds it to. I thought that was a pretty mature observation on a night when everybody was celebrating like that. Our CBS Sports Player of the Year is Baker Mayfield. I don't think we need to elaborate too much on yeah. that, right? I mean, was I, I did want to add something that you brought up. There's a story there to be done because I think this Oklahoma in this playoff is a culture war. Um, and I'll tell you why. You know, it's 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 a generational offense against three three other elite ish defenses. I don't think they've faced that this year. Um, and I'm I'm including Ohio State when they won there. I want to see that offense against one of these defenses, and we're gonna see it pretty quick, obviously against Georgia, but it's a culture war because to me, the minute Bob Stoops hired Mike Leach in 1999 to be his offensive coordinator and Mike Leach stayed one year, that changed everything in the big 12 that identified that league for what we know it now is this spread kind of offensive league. And, you know, the, the sec is very proud of their heritage, you know, run, run first and play defense I think the Big 12, you know, what's wrong with being proud of what they have? And they haven't really gotten that message across. But Baker Mayfield is the the latest reincarnation of that, and and maybe the best. Well, how about the our, our CBS Sports All America team that was released earlier this week? Uh, Big 12, one of the most yeah. well represented conferences. Most of it coming on the offensive side. Both of our wide receivers, David Sills from West Virginia, uh, James yeah. Washington from Oklahoma State, Mark Andrews, our tight end. All of our pass catchers are from the Big Twelve. Of course, our quarterback, as we mentioned earlier, Baker Mayfield, and you throw in Orlando Brown. Uh, this is like on on the flip side of it. The Big Ten, almost no offensive representation on our All America team, but a lot of defensive representation. Uh, it's, you know, the, the identities within that culture war seemed like uh, this this season more than any. I, I found myself not having, uh, you know, it didn't seem like there was a lot of debate when I was filling out my Bolitnikoff Award ballot. There wasn't a lot of consternation when I was filling out my ballot for the CBS Sports All-America team. Like the the identities of these leagues and of these conferences and of these regions uh, were self-fulfilling prophecies in 2017. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, yeah, cr- credit to us, Chip, <laughs> for picking the right people. You know, right? Uh, there, were, there was an issue for me at defensive line because there were so many good ones, and a lot of guys got left out either on second team or didn't make it at all, a lot of good guys. Um, and, and then at receiver, as you mentioned, I think you could have picked three, four, or five different guys. James Washington, for sure. Um, and then you could have gone with some, you know, uh, uh, Stephen Israel at, uh, at, at Ishmael. Uh, Syrac- Ishmael, sorry. My name I, is Ishmael. My name is Ishmael right. at uh, Syracuse. Right. Could have gone there. So, you know, I, I, I think you're right. I think the, the identities of the conferences were well represented, by the way. A- ACC and Big Ten both with a, a high of 10 total selections on the first and second teams. At the uh, one, one thing that I thought was very interesting, uh, and you know, I, I am guilty of so over the last three years just because of proximity and region for 
sometimes seeing things from an orange-tinted lens. But uh, Clemson had no first-team selections for the AP or CBS Sports All-America yeah. team. But the AP team, which goes through three of them, Clemson was the most represented. And I thought that that, is, uh, that shows this Clemson team as absolutely a sum of its parts, and that's not a bad thing. No, I, th- I thought Cleveland Fl- Farrell was the first team on AP. He was first team. Oh, yes, you're right. Farrell was first team yeah. on AP. We had no Clemson players defensively right. on our first team. But uh, I think we had Wilkin- maybe Wilkins and Farrell on our second team. But uh, Austin well, Bryant. Who, who do you pick there? That, I think that's the issue on defense. You know, you really had to – was Cle- Cleveland Farrell absolutely their best defensive lineman? Was it Austin Bryant? Um, you know, you just mentioned uh, – uh, uh, Wilkins in his second year. I mean, who's the best? I mean, you really had to dig down, and maybe they just took votes away from each other. That you know, that is arguably the best defense, um, but they maybe they just took votes away from each other. Uh, it, it is the it's. I think that defensive line is the best individual unit in the college football yep. playoff. Yeah, I, I mean, and I think that's why it's really. I opened another can of worms, but Alabama was favored to win this before they even got in. On that Sunday, if you listen to Vegas, right? But you know, Clemson is number one and defending champion. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm surprised they aren't getting more love. I guess it'll be decided on the field, but you know, I'm I'm surprised. It'll uh, it'll be a lot, very very interesting. Uh, our freshman of the year, very uh, very excited about this one because I forgot uh, about a very important number. Our freshman of the year is Wisconsin's Jonathan Taylor, uh, number three rusher in the nation behind Rashad Penny and Bryce love. Uh, his 1800 yards was nearly 500 more yards, uh, ahead of the big tens second place rusher. Uh, there was no one who was more dominant on the ground than him in that league. He is the next in the line of Wisconsin, great Wisconsin running backs, but I did not know we were on the edge of history, Dennis. He just needs 79 yards to break Adrian Peterson's FBS freshman rushing record. Wow, I didn't know that either. Yeah, um, I just I found it out working on the uh, the post for him today, and I was like, on one good. on one hand, we could be going into the Orange Bowl, and Jonathan Taylor could make history. On the other hand, Miami's got a very good run defense, and I don't know if he's going to get 79 yards. It will be interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, fastest freshman to a thousand, I think. I think in his sixth or seventh game, and, and good for him because, you know, I, I think because of the depth at running back on these All America teams, he was left off a lot of them. Uh, you really had to make a hard choice between, you know, uh, Rashad uh, Denny at, uh, at Penn. I'm sorry, Rashad Penny. Excuse me at uh, at San Diego State. Um, and some others, and Jonathan Taylor maybe was, was the odd man out just because he was a freshman, but he's had a fantastic year. When you're looking at um, <laughs> when you're looking at Taylor moving forward, and as as we're starting to sort of project out for the next season, uh, I thought that it was incredibly. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned that there weren't a lot of surprises, and I think that we ended up. If you looked at our preseason and our midseason and our final teams, uh, there were a lot of names that showed up on all those, and I don't think that's because. Uh, of anything other than the fact that the the final All-America team, 33 of the the 54 possible spots were by fourth-year players or above, meaning redshirt juniors or true seniors or redshirt seniors. Over half, 
a heavy representation of upperclassmen. These are players that we have known. Is is that something like am, am I just a prisoner of the moment right now, or does it really feel like we are losing about to lose a lot of star power, and the landscape for the individual greats within the sport is about to go through a little bit of a reset? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I think that's true. You're going to lose those uh, a lot of quarterbacks. Um, I mean, if you get down to Drew Locke at Missouri, maybe four or five really good ones. Um, Josh Allen at uh, at Wyoming. So it's going to be a reset at quarterback. Obviously, a guy like Kelly Bryant's going to be back. Baker Mayfield's not. Uh, but that's that's a good observation by you. Yeah, we are. Um, but in in the traditional fashion, not a lot of juniors or third year juniors leaving for the NFL fourth year players. And that just that I think what you said is true. It just come. This is just how it's rolled along this year. There's no particular trend to it. The, cause we, that means we're, we're definitely going to be losing Mayfield, love Penny, mm-hmm. Washington. I don't know about David Sills, but we probably are going to lose Mark Andrews. You know, the, the idea of who the next crop is, that's where I looked at Jonathan Taylor and I said, Jan- Jonathan Taylor could be a Heisman candidate next season. He should be. Uh, and, and what's more amazing with Jonathan Taylor, w- everybody knows he's getting the ball uh, and everybody knows Alex Hornibrook is, is a little bit substandard a quarterback. He th- I think he threw the most interceptions of any quarterback in the Big Ten, 14 or 15. So, you know, and in, in Ohio State really was the only team to, to finally expose him. They won every game up until then. Everybody knows he's getting the ball, and he still succeeds. Uh, well, do you know why it works? It's because when you have six offensive linemen and every one of them is pulling, three of them in one direction, three of them in the <laughs> other. How, as a linebacker, do you know where the ball is going to go? Yes. Uh, yeah. You have to get through that to get to him. Yeah, you have to get through uh, all that meat to be able to uh, to get your hands on Jonathan Taylor. Uh, all right. The coaching carousel, all Power 5 jobs have been filled. What will stand out to you as the lasting storyline of the 2017 coaching carousel? Wow. You know, there, I, I'm writing this story this week and there re- really is no common thread. There were three home runs, I guess, if you will, at uh, at UCLA, Texas A&M and Florida. And then in general, after that, it's kind of a bunch of singles and doubles and maybe uh, right fielder boots it and the guy gets the third. But um, I, I think that's the thread, you know, when when. Uh, OK, so we all agree that what Arizona State did with Herm Edwards was off the reservation and doomed to failure. Well, how does that? How does? How do you jive that with uh, two bit, three big Power Five programs, Oregon, Florida State, and Arkansas hiring uh, coaches with a combined career winning percentage of three eighty three? You know, I'm talking about Willie Taggart, Chad Morris, and who is the, third, the other one I mentioned? Oh, Mario Cristobal. Um, you know, j- just so you know, you know, um, six weeks ago would. Jeremy Pruitt had passed muster at Tennessee. I don't know if he would have. You know, right. we're getting a defensive coordinator. You know, I thought from the beginning Tennessee would hire a, a sitting head coach. And it looks like a good hire, but not a great hire. So I think it's just from the beginning, you knew you could see, because of the openings and significant openings at the top, that there weren't going to be enough home runs to fill everything. And and sure enough, there wasn't. And, you know, and obviously you've got the situation, you know, okay, what Arizona State did was wacky. How much more wacky than, than Texas A&M way overpaying for uh, Jimbo Fisher, $75 million over 10 years, most total money ever. 
you know, would he have taken seven years? <laughs> well, I don't know. All right, so here's here's my argument for uh, – well, first of all, would you add Scott Frost to your home runs? I, I would, and I, right. I apologize. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think you were right because I've I was I've got my uh, I've got my list here, and, and my only A grades were Scott Frost, yeah, Chip Kelly, and Dan Mullen, um, and then my B grades were Jeremy Pruitt, though I do think that could go sideways. Mm-hmm. Willie Taggart, because I do think that could go sideways. Um, I I I think that the the thread here is the speed with which it was wrapped up something that I absolutely attribute to the early signing period. Yes. Like this, we, yeah. we had never seen things move as quickly as they did. And it was because every one of these schools needed to somehow get something in place so that they can on, you know, December 20th, be able to announce someone. You do not want to be the power five school that doesn't have any names to announce when every yeah. other school in the conference is going to be trying to get someone on there. So I'm, I, I think that that is the most shocking thing for me from this cycle is the new, the new world order of the college football coaching carousel, which these athletic directors now need to know. And, you know, you're using Tennessee as the, as the example, you know, you, you need, you're using Tennessee as the bad example and Mississippi state is the good example. Every athletic director needs to have their ducks in a row by about the middle of November because things are going to move very, very swiftly. And if you don't know exactly who's on your list and if you don't have your feelers out, then all of a sudden you're going to be in New York at the NFF meetings just having a telephone booth of having people coming in and out trying to help you land a coach. Yeah, and sometimes that happens anyway because they are everything's driven by recruiting. And this year certainly it was, you know, not to your point, but I guess a, a comparison to your point Scott, you know, Nebraska identified their guy and got Scott Frost, but he's going to be coaching in the bowl game. Oh, I know. And both sides are kind of okay with it. You know, and why wouldn't you? You know, if if you've got Scott Frost, you can recruit to that name on December twentieth, and and good for him uh, for wanting to be with his guys who went undefeated, and, and them accepting him in the administration to to UCF, and and somebody not putting their foot in the ground and saying no, no, no. We, you know, coaches have been lost that way because they didn't. They couldn't. They weren't allowed to coach and go out with their guys. I, Jim Harbaugh, Kansas, um, and people still don't remember that. Jim Harbaugh was just about signed, sealed, and delivered at Kansas. I think before they hired Charlie Weiss. Don't hold me to that. It may have been Turner Gill, and the AD at the time, Lou Perkins, said, "said No, we don't want to wait until after the bowl game." And I think that last bowl game for Jim Harbaugh at Stanford was a BCS bowl. I'd have to check. His uh, last, Andrew, yeah, it was Andrew Luck. It was the Orange Bowl yeah. against Virginia Tech. And 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 what what short sightedness that you wouldn't let Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh going to Kansas is like you know, I don't know. Make your own comparison. That that dropped out of the sky for Kansas. You're going to lose him because you're you're not going to wait for him until after the bowl. So uh, good for Nebraska. Good for UCF. Uh, good for the likes of Mississippi State, UCLA. Um, I guess Florida State, which moved with with dispatch and identified their guys and got them. The uh, this all right. So my my one counter on Jimbo Fisher is that if you're Texas A and M and you've already spent three hundred and seventy five million dollars, yeah. <laughs> what is seventy five more? Like you are pot well, more, committed more than at that. that point. They're paying off you know half a billion dollars on the stadium renovation. That 
that money wasn't in the bank. That's de- there's debt service there. Just on the stadium alone, five a half a billion dollars, five hundred million, and they've got they've got they burn money there. They've got good money after bad, and they've got an administration and regents that are intensely involved in football for better or worse. And so you know, again, they identified their guy, um, Jimbo's agent, Jimmy Sexton, sensed the market. And good for him. You know, they were going to give him $75 million for 10 years. Uh, yeah, we'll take it. Um, now, we'll, now we'll just see what he does. You know, what Texas A&M hasn't won anything in 20 years, and they just fired the guy who had the most wins and the highest winning percentage there in, in 20 years. And they thought they were underachieving, so we'll see. I tell you what, it's awfully interesting that Jimbo Fisher is starting to make these hires, and it is not Florida State assistance. And no. The, yeah, the big, you know, hang-up. At Florida State was some of those assistants. Like, for example, Florida State, uh, not Florida State, Jimbo Fisher hired Memphis's offensive coordinator to be. Does this mean that Jimbo Fisher is going to be opening up the offense? Is he willing to go spread now? I, th- I think that it will take some time before we see Fisher uh, really get the Aggies to a point where we are looking at them as, you know, in the preseason and saying, well, you know, the, they are ready to be above Auburn or Alabama. But I, I think that that is probably one of the most intriguing stories at a time where Nick Saban is going to keep, uh, you know, the Alabama death machine rolling, where Gus Malzahn yes. has fully committed himself and his system uh, to the Tigers, at least for a little bit longer. And we've got a good idea of what LSU is. I think that how Jimbo Fisher is willing to adapt himself after being so stuck in his ways uh, for a while at Florida State. I think that that's probably one of the more intriguing stories in the SEC heading into next season. Yeah, and he, look, he brought that on himself. He knew he was inheriting that cement ceiling in Alabama, um, and, and he's going to go against his, I guess, mentor or one of his coaching friends, Nick, every year. Uh, so he knows what he's getting into. And, you know, on the on the opposite side, I think the whole, the whole thing's guaranteed. Uh, you know, so A&M is all in on that. I will say that A&M's problem has not been offense. It's and, and to be to be clear, Jimbo ran the spread at, uh, at Florida State, at least with DeAndre Francois. Um, they were running a power running game out of the spread. I don't think that's the issue. The issue is defense, you know, with with John Chavis there and, you know, them underachieving on defense. They they had one of the highest paid coordinators or an accomplished coordinator and still couldn't get it done, that's going to be the issue. That's how they're going to win the West if they ever do under Jimbo. <sighs> do you think that Nick Saban coaches until the end of this guaranteed contract of Jimbo Fisher? Well, I think Fishers? it's very interesting that – I think that has something to do with the contracts. Me too. At, at A&M and Auburn. You know, Gus got seven. Jimbo got ten. And I think that's what kind of the, age, the same agent was there, Jimmy Sexton, you know – we need we need to lengthen this thing out because either these guys are going to be the next vanguard of the SEC, um, and I think that had something to do with it. I think it's a great question. Ten years, I don't think I don't think Nick is coaching when he's seventy six years right. old. Right, that's seven years. I don't think he's coaching when he's uh, seventy three years old. I could be wrong, but that's I think that's why these things were extended out. It's like you got to give me a chance till after he retires. Now I don't think anybody will ever say that. But I think that went into the negotiations. Oh, 100%. I, th- I think that's very, very, very important. A um, little bit of news before we get out of here. Shea Patterson committing to Michigan. Uh, the biggest question here is whether Shea Patterson, with two years of eligibility left, will be eligible 
for the Wolverines in 2018. Also a question that uh, I, I would like to ask is whether or not he is definitely an upgrade. Uh, but first, let's get to the first part of that, Dennis. Do you think that Patterson will be able to petition the NCAA successfully uh, and get immediate eligibility with the Wolverines? Uh, current events would tell you that he would be because of the uh, Thomas Mars and, and lawsuit that, um, you know, the, the apology that Houston Nutt got that Ole Miss was trying to dismerge him and, and un- unknown to uh, – to recruits, to prospects. So it would seem his prospects are good. But as I pointed out on Twitter, he will have to go through the same waiver appeal process as everybody else. All the cases are different. Uh, you know, I've learned never to predict one of these things. You know, they can look at mitigating factors. I've seen things slam dunk. Nope, you have to sit out of here. So I'm just warning people that there is no, there is no, you know, uh, if then, well, if these guys got a waiver, why shouldn't he get his? I don't know. You know, I, I don't know who's making those decisions at the NCA, but I, I would like his chances right now. Well, I and I will counter with, I am not a hundred. Is Shea Patterson talented? Absolutely. I trust our twenty four seven sports rankings, and I trust the scouting, and I know I've seen mm-hmm. with my own eyes him be uh, show a lot of good raw talent. But I will say that a lot of his production has come not in key moments against Alabama, LSU, and Auburn. And so I am curious probably more than anything, and I am hesitant to say, boom, Shea Patterson, he's the guy that puts Michigan over the top and gets them to a Big Ten championship. Because, you know, we went into 2017 saying this isn't the year Next year's probably the year for Michigan. So now 2018 is here, and there's going to be a lot of consternation in the year of grand expectations for Jim Harbaugh in Michigan to beat your rivals, to win a Big Ten championship. And I don't know that Shea Patterson is 100% a, a foolproof, fail-safe, best option at quarterback, uh, even with you know Brandon Peters and Dylan McCaffrey right there on the roster. Uh, yeah, he's, he's definitely an upgrade. Uh, Michigan's problem beyond Wilton Spate and John O'Corn was it was an off, substandard offensive line this year. And I don't know if they had, uh, you know, breakaway running backs. Uh, Higdon was, did okay against some of the slappies in the Big Ten. Yeah, his arm alone is, is an upgrade. Um, O'Corn wasn't a Big Ten quarterback. He just wasn't. We've seen him, too much of him, actually. Wilton Spate is transferring. Um, he never played at a, at a consistent high enough level. I think Shea Patterson, now again, in, in Jim Harbaugh's offense, he's not going to throw 30 or 40 times. Um, you know, he's not going to be able to sling it like he did under Hugh Freeze and Matt Luke. Uh, so what does that mean? You know, they still got to get better at offensive line and, and the skill positions for him to matter. But just on the face of it, he's definitely an upgrade. Yeah, I mean, I mean, again, like I said, he was the number one pro-style passer in the class yeah. of 2016. You get somebody with that kind of talent, um, it is going to be encouraging. I, I'm just, you know, I, I, again, for a Michigan team with high expectations, I feel like the temptation will be, boom, they got Shea Patterson, quarterback issues right. fixed. All right, Michigan's going to win. I think Michigan can be very, 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 very good next season. Uh, I am not positive that uh that this is going to be it i feel like i've been fooled dennis too many yeah. times in the off season we get these quarterback transfers and everyone throws their hands up and everyone names them the starter 
Yeah, I mean, it's call it the Everett Golson syndrome. Call it the Brandon Harris syndrome. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I've just well, I've look, been through he, this too many times. That offense is still going to look like Bo Schembechler's running it. Right. And that, for three years, that's what I've looked at. I go, wow, there's a lot of talent out there, but there's the double tight end, and there's there's the I formation, and there they are under center, for better or worse. You know, look, he's won 10 games two out of the three years, um, but – you know, Shea Patterson's going to play in that offense, and there it's not going to bend much for Shea Patterson. I suspect they'll have him in a, you know, in a in a shotgun on on third down, but it's going to be that same old conservative offense. So we'll see. As uh, we'll be sure to link back up before uh, before the college football playoffs to really get into it. What what would you say are some of the stories that are bubbling or tracking uh, as we get through these next couple weeks and get bowl season underway this weekend? Uh, I think um, what early signing day is going to look like is, you know, are 75% of the top prospects going to sign? Are they going to be pressured into that, everybody into the boat mentality or not? Uh, As I mentioned, going into the playoff, the Oklahoma story, I I mentioned about a culture war. Uh, uh, Clemson trying to back things up. You know, they are the defending national champions. And in Alabama, getting in, uh, you know, getting in the on, in a side door there, the only team ever to win, ever to be in all four, you know, how are they going to look? They play to Alabama standard again. I think even Nick Saban would think this is this might not even be his third best team at Alabama, uh, but they play to a different standard, and that's why they got in. The reason they got in was, you know, I think their season was a steady heartbeat, consistent. Ohio State's uh, spiked too much. On the on the EKG, I don't. We don't have to go in with those losses look like and why how they impacted the season, but we'll see. I, I a person a player no one is talking about going into the playoff. Jalen Hurts, watch him. I mean, he may be blossoming, I think, here in his, uh, at the end of his second season. Mm. He is Dennis Dodd. You can follow him on Twitter, at Dennis Dodd CBS. Uh, Dennis, always good to catch up. Thank you very much. All right, Chip. Thank you. 